Welcome to the Vital Voices podcast, Power to Empower series. 2020 was supposed to be the start of a bold new decade. Instead, unprecedented global crises have radically shifted our reality and have put the life and death consequences of good leadership on display. Time and time again, we've seen that women leaders stand strong in the face of challenges. Women are stepping forward with creativity, compassion, using their courage to encourage others, their bold ideas to embolden communities, and their voices, positions, and power to empower us all. That's why we're celebrating their power, potential, and purpose. In our new book, Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower, and bringing their stories to life on this podcast. In this series, we're speaking with women leaders about their journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their thoughts on leadership and the path forward. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. Today, I'm so thrilled to be joined by a woman I just deeply admire. I'm speaking to biologist, entrepreneur, and longtime Vital Voices leader, Maria Pacheco. Maria has said that her life's work is to find ways to link people who are stuck in the cycle of poverty with markets that can create cycles of prosperity. She is the founder of Wakami, an initiative that started with really a simple question, what can I do? That answer Maria found out was to sell the goods people in her home country of Guatemala deep into communities were producing connect those people and their products to the markets. She truly shows us what it means to use your power to empower. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Elise. It's so beautiful to to be here today after such a long journey together, right? (laughs) I know, such a long journey. And I'm thinking about how you and I were together 12 years ago, um, back in 2008, as you launched the Vital Voices chapter in Guatemala, really bringing the seeds and ideas of Vital Voices that you had gained two years prior when we first met you and you, you first came to, to, into our universe uh, by being part of the State Department Fortune uh, Global Mentoring Partnership. Uh, and then how you expanded that by bringing leaders throughout Central America uh, to be part of Vital Voices and to bring those seeds back to their communities. So. Um, you've done beautiful work. And I I would love for you to just give us some insight into your journey from biologist, obviously, then to social entrepreneur, um, supporting people throughout Guatemala. How did that happen? Well, I think it, uh, you know, looking back, I think it's just um, the beginning of all of this was touching base with the people of Guatemala. you know, as a biologist, obviously, I, 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 have, I love life uh, in all its forms. Um, but coming back, you know, to a country that where the war had been really terrible, uh, where then after the war, there was more people dying from poverty. Um, and just really feeling like, you know, the, either we run away from this planet or what we can do, you know, and, and just going to the villages and listening to the people and them, you know, especially the women saying, if you can sell what we produce, the rest we can do. That's really what took me on this journey um, that has been a journey, I would say from the villages to local markets, to national markets, to global markets, but the end is to the global community. Um, so now I can describe my journey of something that starts, you know, like really small and leads me to the world and, and to be able to be a bridge between people in communities and people in, in, in other communities in the world. 
Um, but I think it's also been a, a journey of, um, of choosing what energy will I be with or what energy will walk with me and, and you know, seeing it's very easy and you can see it now, it's relevant to now, you can get bitter, you can uh, get convinced that you need to choose sides, you can be angry. Um, but I think for us, what really made the difference in this journey was saying, yeah, Guatemalan situation is very hard. It's very hard for the women. It's very hard for me also being part of a country that allows that. And, and what is the dream? Uh, so for me, you know, from the beginning was all about, I dream of living in a country where people are happy and the earth is happy. That's a simple dream. But I think, and, and realizing that my passion was to start walking towards this dream with people that I really connected with the most, which was rural mothers uh, and their ch children. And um, moments of seeing them lose their children was like really tough, but also having the vision of what happens if these women have a source of income, they become empowered. You know, that's how we're gonna reach that, the dream of happy people in, in, a happy, in a happy earth. So that's been that journey of always trying to choose, you know, how to create, forget anger. You know, anger just got me into the first step, forget anger, but really choose. And how, you know, um, a dream that starts as, as a personal dream becomes more and more a collective dream as a community, as they join, as the private sector joins, as we connect with you guys, you know, with Vital Voices and all the women of the world wanting this. So I would say that that's a journey. And looking back right now, even though times are tough, it's a journey that I wouldn't trade for anything else. And it's really, like you say, saying what can each one of, do, of us do, that when we connect with others, what great change we can bring about. Um, so that's how I, I think a lot of times people forget that the, the Guatemalan Civil War was what 36 years long. Um, With, that leaves deep wounds. Can you talk a little bit about obviously growing up in Guatemala against that backdrop, but then how you began to sort of see the other and then how you begin to heal? How have you built those sort of bridges to heal? Yeah, and I would say, at least if there's a word that I would choose for the journey is that it's, it's heal, a personal healing and then a, a heal, healing that, that we were doing in community. Like you said, Guatemala had a 36-year internal conflict. Over a million people fled, many to the U.S., to Mexico. Over 200,000 people died. But um, um, yeah, the, the war was brutal. In, in, and I guess everywhere you've seen it with, with other Vital Voices uh, leaders where it's not just about you know, winning a war and killing, but it's really breaking it up but the social network and, and uh, seeing horrors that you never think that, you know, <laughs> that we would need to witness. Uh, so, and, and in a country also that after the war, there hasn't been like in South Africa, you know, a reconciliation and acknowledgement. So without that acknowledgement, you have a part of the population in Guate that says, you know, I'll oh, forget the war, it was a long time ago, but you have a, another population that says, our lives were destroyed, our livelihoods, our faith, our everything was destroyed. How do we, you know, it's not just so easy to forget. So that creates resentment and that creates a, an energy that you can feel in Guatemala that it's heavy, you know. Um, for me, at the beginning as a Guatemalan, that's how I grew up. I really could see this when I went to, in high school, uh, to Kansas, because my dad was a pediatrician, he got a fellowship there. So uh, after living in Kansas, coming back to my country, I could really, what seemed normal before leaving didn't seem normal anymore. You know, the war was really hitting me and just feeling like I was part of that, of the city people that first didn't care and, and, for, and were not aware and uh, didn't feel their responsibility for it. But I started feeling it the minute you put 
foot in those communities and started realizing what the war meant. So for me, um, I would say that seeing that reality, I felt like a shame of, of being a Guatemalan that allowed you know these communities to just be massacred like that. Um, but but like I say, and and I was really because my brother became a Jesuit priest, my dad was working with refugees and my mom to help them. We were really like outsiders. So I thought, oh, I'm going back to my country, you know, back to being Guatemala. And I really felt more of an outsider than ever before because I, I just, I didn't feel good seeing that reality and seeing that we were responsible for part of that reality. Um, but like, like what you say, how do you get started? So for me it was to say, let's go see, you know, and going into a refugee camp in San Jose Poaquil and, and seeing the pain of mothers bury a child because there's, there's not an IV solution. There's no care for them in that refugee camp. Um, that, that was the beginning for me. Like there's no intellectual process just saying, I got to do something about this, you know, but not knowing what, and that's when we asked the women, how can we really help? You know, and that's when they said, help us make money, help us have money, because then we can change our reality, you know, the, the situation in, in war, but then the situation in extreme poverty with people living on less than a dollar a day. Um, I, you know, your story is certainly emblematic of, of other women leaders in our network who see a problem and can't look away and step up to, to right the wrong. Um, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful and, and such a pure, authentic way to come into leadership to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not stepping up to gain power for the sake of power, but I want to gain power to empower. And of course, that's what um, the, the book that you were featured in is really all about how women are really redefining power and leadership mm -hmm. and changing the way that we think about it from being a hierarchical top down uh, you know, sort of the chosen one at the top to being really the bottom up, the one who empowers um, those mm -hmm. local communities um, as you did. So, so I know when, when you first went into these communities and they said to you, you know, help us make money, they were selling a number of things that people just didn't want to buy. So can you talk about the Wakami model and how you figured out how to help them create products that really the market needed? How did you communicate that to them? Because I would imagine, obviously, coming into these communities as an outsider, even being Guatemalan yourself, but as an outsider, you know, someone who grew up in the city, really on the other side of things, how did you build those bridges so that they would trust these new ideas you were bringing to them for, for greater prosperity? Yeah, so I think it's, I'll, I'll retake that, that first, that last question first. I think, um, for, and for us, you know, the, the way when we talked about healing, you know, you can go into these communities and say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And for the women and for the community, that just goes over their head. You know, why are they going to believe somebody coming from the outside and all, all this stuff? So for us, you know, what we found really helpful was to first before doing anything, just sitting down with the people and saying, you know, what is your story? Tell us about your story. Tell us about your fears. Tell us about your dreams. And when you acknowledge where somebody is, where somebody's been and where they want to go to, that's a place of connection where you can build from. So, you know, that's the beginning of, of that because people will say, oh God, you know, they, they know who I am. They're acknowledging who I am and we're all the same. Just like you guys do to us, you know, when we, when we go to Battle Voices and you ask us the same questions, you feel taking, you feel that you're being looked at, you know? 
Um, but then, you know, as, as how you gain trust by, by if you can offer something, you're going to deliver. And by being there every week for, <laughs> for a long time. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, when we started, you know, we were selling, Wakami was selling all kinds of things, so baskets, flowers, mushrooms, tomatoes. And it was like, oh, this is crazy. You know, we can't really get good at anything. So that's when with, with Ketam, uh, my cousin, we said, why don't we create a brand? And it was really hard to compete, you know, in pricing. So we said, no, we need a brand that tells a story that, that, that tells who we are, that becomes a highway to markets, and many rural businesses can come through that. And so we were saying, what should we produce? You know, we had done all kinds of products before, but we found the spot of personal handmade accessories to be a good one because those were small things that could be easily exported. The global market was growing for those things and that the, the women could come back and forth with their communities production um, in a public transportation in a very easy way. Uh, so that, and in it also, uh, handmade products really acknowledge the skills of the women. So the, so Wakami decided to become this uh, handmade accessories because it really built on the strength of the women. You know, Guatemala is one of the, the, the textiles, the, the handcrafts that you have here are incredible. Um, and, and, but at the end, we would be designing products that the global market would love and would be inspired by it and would be, you know, um, happy with. And, and that's where Wakami, you know, more and more, we create products that inspire, we say that inspire the people that buy them and transform the lives of the people that produce them. So, and, and you know, more and more, I love it that, so in Wakami, we do basically three things. Um, with groups of women that say we want a source of income, we go there, we do a dream workshop, and then we incubate them. We, we do like a once a week for two years, uh, so they become a formal business. Uh, but within the second or third month that they start the training, we connect them to the Wakami market. So they start having orders, start having income, and that empowers them and allows them to stay out of the house for a few hours, you know, and come back with something that the husbands will be happy with. And then the last part we do is saying, these women have income. So we have a platform of continuous education and access to products and services that really improve the quality of life and make their dreams a reality, which is, you know, access to a nutritionist, access to health, to clean water, to stoves, uh, to um, girls' education. Um, so that's really what, it's, it's a methodology that we say summarize dreams plus opportunity equals change. And the dreams of the women plus opportunity to become a business, to become a part of a value chain that generates income. And then uh, that income, how it's transformed into quality of life, that's really what, what creates the change. Mm. What's been the impact, obviously, of this, um, this global pandemic, uh, both on your business, but also just on, on the people? Yeah, well, the first impact was we all felt like we've been hit with a bat, right? <laughs> um, but I would say that Wakami right now, we are much stronger as a result of COVID and like, you, you know, the, the film Collateral Beauty, just like that. Um, when COVID hit, you know, we had invested in Wakami with investors two years opening up, um, not just the global distribution, but shops and kiosks in Guatemala. And we finished the last one in November and by March they were all closed, right? So all our investments would seem like, you know, where did they go? Um, but then we started, you know, finding, finding ways uh, around the business. But, but the first thing that hit me and now has led to business opportunities was I went to buy masks for my kids and for me, and it was $10 a mask, you know, that the next wow. day. I was, mm -hmm. So 
we thought like, oh no, we need to protect the women. And we had started a sewing center with Wakami. So the first thing was like, let's get masks for all the women of Wakami and their families, you know? And by doing that, then people were saying, do you sell masks? And you know, now we, we're a mask selling company. Um, but also we, in, the, in the communities, we're really concerned about the food. You know, markets may one day be there or not. Communities were closed down. Where's the food gonna come from them? So we had already started a little bit of working with regenerative agriculture and growing organically native crops um, in the communities. And that became really, really, really more important. Uh, so, so, you know, we did that. And I just, uh, instead of, I think COVID changed my, our view of the communities, not so much as, you know, we want to bring income through this value chain is how do uh, Guatemalan families become more resilient and, and can really prosper um, and decrease risk. So right now it's, you know, for us is if a family has the, their organic agriculture locally, they have the Wakami uh, income, and, and all their other stuff, they're really gonna be more prosperous. So I think that we were able to do that, but for Wakami, it was really hard, you know, like not having any order, not, not, you know, very few orders for quite a period of time. And that's when we realized, you know, we support communities, but they support us. All the women said, Maria, you just don't give up. We're here for you, don't worry. You know, we'll take smaller orders, we'll take later payments, you just go for it. And um, and then, you know, I had to go as Wakami to all my investors and to people that, that are suppliers and very humbly say, guys, you know, we're gonna make it, but I need time. And it was every time that I, I dreaded a meeting with an investor saying, you know, we're gonna have to pay your interest later. And they just said, no, Maria, you know, we're happy to see that you're not giving up. We're here to support you, you know, after that round of community saying, you know, we're of just apologizing to everybody and saying, and we need time because we got hit, you know, like, I mean, this thing really, our business got really hit hard and everybody believing us and showing us how much they cared. I came out like, oh my God, you know, like my eyes got teary and saying, you know, we thought we were working uh, for them and now they're just working for us and all our- mm. Well, that's beautiful. So, Maria, I think that one of the reasons that that certainly happened for you is that people see you as just such an extraordinary leader. And I think one of the things that you've relied on so much is that empathy, that ability to have compassion and put yourself in someone else's shoes. And when you do that, of course, people want to follow you because you understand them and you see them. And I think you've been, you're, you're so good at that. You're so, so very heartfelt and, and, have such an incredible spiritual energy in, in your leadership. And leadership's really been on display this year. You know, you think about it, crisis like nothing else exposes bad leadership. Obviously with, with, with the COVID crisis, with the reckoning here in the United States around Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, obviously a, a US election and so much turmoil and economic downturn around the world. What has that taught you about leadership but also what has, what has it shown you about your own leadership? Well, I, I think COVID has taught us that we're all connected. You know, a, a virus showed how there's no borders, right? But for me, what I can see also is how we're connected if we choose, you know, the energy of collaboration, of working together, of creating together, there's also no limit on what we can do. Um, 
So, and like you say, you know, I mean, Wakami, you know, we were having a hard time even before COVID, but after COVID, we're, we're much stronger. But I think it's because we, you know, like you say, at least always stay the course, right? And we, we said, you know, these are our values. Our values are to empower women, to connect and honor with people and with the earth, to everything we do, do it with a purpose. And um, it's incredible to see how now we have huge business opportunities that came just from saying, you know, this is who we are and we're not going to change with this crisis. And I think that one of the most important things that as a leader I've seen is the power of, of a team. My team, oh my God, you know, if they were strong before, right now they're making things possible in an almost impossible environment. Um, so what it's taught me, it's really that's what's worth is, you know, having your mission, having your purpose, sticking to your values and yeah you know working hard and, and and trying to you know to make profit for everybody for all the stakeholders but really at the end when things are hard those values are what what are going to get you through the really tough times so for me as a leader i think through covid the only thing i can think of is i'm so grateful for the communities for my team for the investors for you know, for people like like you at least, like Vital Voices that have always been there for us, whether things are good or, or not good. Um, and, and what have I learned, like um, three days ago from a magazine, a Central American magazine, they called me and say, Maria, you've been elected as one of the top three business leaders most admired in Guatemala. And I'm like, how can that be? You know, through all this crisis, I haven't even been out there in the media doing anything. I mean, I've just stuck to my team and to just making this work and focusing on, you know, how do we come out of this stronger than we were? And what it revealed to me is that it no longer has to be me out there. You know, it's a team that it's showing the work um, that uh, from the messages that are out there on social media, you know, what came our campaign this year and really our manifesto is we're all citizens of the world. Global change be begins at home. Collective dreams are unstoppable. And that's kind of the messages we're putting out there in spite of being so easily to be angry and just want to divide and take parties. Um, so I do think that it's taught me that even though things are hard, and I was in the States, I mean, I, my husband's from Minnesota, I went to see the, um, you know, the, the memorial um, there and, and of all the black people that have been killed and you feel like the chills, but it's like, you have to take that in, but as a leader say, what is the vision? You know, this is where we're, this is the reality we're starting from, but what is that vision that is beautiful? You know, where we all as human beings celebrate. So, you know, I think more than ever now, it's important in Guate, we call it the dream or it's a vision or, and stay to that and say, this is how things are now, but what needs to change so that we can all walk together as people of this earth, you know, holding hands and, and just thriving. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've learned that, you know, staying the course, it's, it's great. And when you think of others, how that comes back to you in ways you don't imagine, that's the gift of this journey. And it's your journey too, Elise. And I think the, the journey of many of the Vital Voices women. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers it, but, but yeah. Oh, these absolutely. Tell me, tell me about how you see women's leadership. I know you and I have talked about how women do bring something distinctive when they rise to leadership positions. And maybe it is because so often, more often than not, women come to leadership because they are wanting to right that wrong. 
um, that they see that affects you know their families, their communities, and they know will affect the future. I think, well, I see women's leadership as a gift. You know, I thought, I always thought living in one of the most machista countries that, oh, I'm a woman, what a disadvantage. I see it as a true gift. I see it as a privilege and I see it as an obligation. Um, and it all is great and it's fun. You know, like after, you know, like I told you when I went to Vital Voices, it was the first time I saw women empowering women, you know, Fortune women, State Department women, all listening to us. That was such a, a, a beautiful, that was such a, a beautiful thing. Um, and how that's the energy that when we founded the chapters in Guatemala and Central America, you know, wanted to bring back. But at the end, I can say my best friends, my best friends are uh, the ones that we made in this, in this journey of trying to make things better for other women. And it's just a celebration, you know, to see one of our Vital Voices founders. She's the first woman to be the president of the Exporters Association, the first woman to be in the Chamber of Chambers of the business people in Guate. The other one has been elected, you know, one of the best influential women in Central America. I mean, it's just the other one is a lawyer that has like the best um, law firm in Central America. I mean, it's a celebration and what we realize, but it's again, you know, I think as women, we need to choose that energy, that positive energy, you know, anger for me, at least in my case, takes me so far, but it's really when, when you start creating that change and together and you can celebrate and yeah, there's challenges, but at the end we're all together and we call ourselves the musketeers here, you know, and it's, um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a privilege and the world needs of it because women, like you say, lead differently. And, and just by Vital Voices stating that how we lead different, it's made us so comfortable to lead like that, but feel it's a privilege, you know. It's a privilege all of us have to, to bring into this world so much, so much of what the world needs. And it's just by being who we are. Maria, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And, and honestly, when I think of, of women around the world who are truly using their power, their gifts to empower, their, their boldness to embolden, it is, it is truly your face that I see. And I'm looking forward to, um, to a time again when I can travel to Guatemala and see all of what you and the incredible um, organization of Vital Voices Guatemala has built down there with just the seeds of your experience, uh, what, 15 years now ago. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and the story keeps changing to, you know, like you say, like finding markets to just connecting people and making friends to healing and to really them, you know, just being free to, to conquer the world. And that's, that's a journey. But I don't want to finish this without really thanking at least you, Vital Voices, all the women of the State Department, the Fortune Women, um, because really, you know, beyond your personal, uh, I don't know, challenges in the U.S., you have found to inspire the women of the world and, uh, and give us strength and give us a voice and, and put a framework in which we feel comfortable leading and creating change and do it in our own way. So I am so grateful to all of the U.S. women that started with this, you, Secretary Clinton, Kay Bailey Hutchinson, the Fortune women, the State Department women are, you all did that, whether you see it or not. <laughs> so well, you. I'll tell you, 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 you are the inspiration that keeps us going, really. I mean, I, I think this organization was founded for and because of women like you, and without you, we, we wouldn't exist, you know? 
um, it's anyway. Yeah, because of you, we're Thank we you have so been much, able to Maria. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. If you'd like to support our work with women leaders who use their power to empower others, you can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org, or you can text VITAL to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. See you next week.